Good morning to everyone this morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 26, 2023. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater living in Canby, Oregon. Welcome to all those voices this morning. It warms my heart. The share ID numbers for Friday, November 24th, 2023 are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting share ID number is 20,870. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting, the share ID number is 20,871. This morning, A Vision for You presents Compulsive Overeater, Anorexia, and Bulimia, a story, a personal story of transformation. The blessing of recovery is a gift and is available to everyone that endeavors upon the 12-step path. We have come to recognize this as a gift through the extensive self-inflicted suffering and the seemingly immeasurable, unsuccessful attempt to break free from this perilous element of addiction from compulsive overeating. Yet, one day we discover that we found our way here utilize the 12-step program and are abstaining from compulsive eating and the accompanying behaviors when we were never able to recover on our own ever in the past. Bulimia, anorexia, and compulsive overeating, these eating disorders are behavioral conditions of addiction, as deep and relentless as any addiction can be. Individuals gravitate towards this 12-step program due to the persistent frustration repeated setbacks and ongoing despair stemming from compulsive overeating and its associated manifestations. As addicts, we relentlessly pursued a sense of ease and comfort irrespective of the negative impact on our well-being. The illogical nature of addiction became evident in our relentless pursuit. This 12-step approach has proven transformative for those grappling with bulimia, anorexia, and compulsive overeating, breaking the chains of their obsessive-compulsive relationship with food. The 12-step process holds the promise of a profound personality change and a spiritual awakening capable of ushering in recovery. Embracing these steps leads to a profound level of liberation from the clutches of our perilous disease and the obsessions that once dictated the course of our lives. This paradoxical journey underscores the strength emerging from utter defeat and weakness requiring the relinquishment of our old lives as a prerequisite for discovering a new one. Joining us this morning is Terry W. from Massachusetts, who wholeheartedly embraces the 12 steps way of life and thus recovered. Terry is committed to conveying the message of recovery to those still grappling and suffering. Through this dedication, Terry has discovered the promised freedom that awaits all who embark on this transformative journey. Terry will share with us her personal story of transformation as she surrendered her way of being to the 12-step way of living. May I introduce this morning to you our very special guest speaker, Terry W. From Massachusetts. Welcome, Terry. Thank you, Melanie, so much, and thank you for the beautiful introduction. 
Um, good morning, everyone. I'm Terry W. from Newton, Massachusetts. And this morning, I'm going to, well, for this afternoon, for some of us, I am going to share with you uh, where I was, where I am today, and how I got here. I've been in this program away for 32 years, and I've been 26 abstinent, which means I've had no flour or sugar, um, and I've been three years recovered. So flour and sugar happen to be my trigger foods that I have an allergy to. You know, a lot of people are, you know, what does recovered mean? And I, I also, when I was first starting, didn't have any idea what that meant. So it means that I am in fixed spiritual condition. I do not obsess about eating, and the thought of food has been lifted from me. I've had a spiritual experience and a personality change that has been given to me by God. And it also means that I must stay in fixed spiritual condition, so therefore I work steps 10, 11, and 12 every day. And it also means my heart gets recovered. So I want to talk to you about how I am a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. And to begin, um, I was an extreme anorexic in which I was 72 pounds and a severe bulimic in which I binged and purged 13 hours a day for five years. And I think it's important we talk about anorexia and bulimia because a lot of people don't recognize the symptoms or know where to turn if a family member has either of these. And they're all related. They're all compulsive overeating behaviors. So to begin, I know when I was a child, I had a very strange relationship with food. Even when I was three years old, I can remember I was climbing up a little chair at my granny's house, and I ate a whole bottle of baby aspirin um, because they didn't have those childproof caps back then. And I can remember a year later climbing up that same, you know, to that same shelf, and I ate a whole bottle of vitamins. And they were little dinosaur vitamins. I can remember there was like 100 of them, and I ate every single one of them. They were so good. And, you know, as I got a little older, I started to eat my toys. So, you know, then I started realizing that this was not normal um, behavior. Um, and I also used to make necklaces out of um, cereal. Uh, some of us remember Fruit Loops and Cheerios. I would string them and bring them to elementary school. I'd wear them around my neck every day. And, uh, and I can remember not many people saw them because I, I couldn't not get to school without eating them. And, you know, even when I was little, I remember at Grammy's house, I wanted to do the dishes every Sunday because I could clean the table and I could sneak food and sneak all these different desserts. And, you know, at that young, young age, you know, that type of a, a mentality of just sneaking, sneaking, sneaking. Um, but I will say, when I was growing up, I ate massive, massive amounts of food. I mean, massive amounts of food. My mother would bring home 12 of those round things every Sunday, and I'd eat 11 of them. And, you know, I'd get punished for that, but, you know, I would eat all 11. I'd leave one for somebody. And then, um, you know, even in the summers, we used to go to the beach, and I had to always have twice or three times more food than everybody else. And I also ate twice, as my boyfriends always did. But, you know, I was very, very athletic. In grade school, I did the hurdles. Um, and in junior high and high school, I was a gymnast. And I practiced six days a week. And I was in the tournaments. And, uh, you know, I just never gained weight. I could eat anything I wanted. Um, and then, you know, when I was 19 years old, I had what's called Gillian Barre. And I think um, many of you in the medical field will know what this is. It's a disease of the nervous system in which your antibodies kill your own antibodies. Um, so I went to the hospital, and they said, you're going to be here two days, two years, we don't know. Um, within a week, I lost all use of my legs and my arms and my outer extremities. And I think within about 
two and a half weeks, I was an escrow quadriplegic. I, I couldn't move, speak, breathe. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't blink. Um, and they said I would never get my legs back. Um, they told me right off, right off the bat. And, you know, I fought so hard. Just I wanted to move my hands so I could move myself around in a wheelchair. You know, that was the miracle from God that I prayed for was to move my hands because I knew I wasn't getting my legs back. Um, but you know what? I just fought so hard, and I am a true miracle today that I am here in full functionality, um, and I can breathe, I can walk. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, but I had to learn how to write like I was in grade school and how to walk like as an infant. The reason I bring this up is because I was 63 pounds, and all they wanted me to do was eat, eat, eat. So here again, I was reinforced to eat, eat, eat because I needed to gain weight. Apparently, I mean, 63 pounds is very dangerous. You know, so this was one of my first um, search and rescues from God that saved me. In in my 20s, I was a professional bodybuilder, and I ate exactly as I was told by the, my controlled eating. And this is where my body images really started surfacing because in my eyes, you know, I was perfect. You know, Bill says that they were hyper arrived. Um, I was in my eyes perfect. I had 4% body fat, and um, ever since then, I've had extreme body issues since I've stopped, you know, working out. But my life began to crumble when my grandmother passed away, who raised me. And, you know, at the same time, my boyfriend, 16 years, was saying, you know, I don't love you, goodbye. I don't love you, goodbye. So not only did these food behaviors stop when I was a little teeny girl, um, and then it became massive amounts of food. But anorexia started, you know, around this time. And my anorexic behaviors were restrictive and extremely obsessive compulsive behavior. Um, for those of you who don't know some of the behaviors, um, it is so horrifying and it's so compulsive. I walk five miles every day and I think I missed two days in five years and I would cry the whole time I walked, my life was so, so sad. Um, you know, even at work, I would put food in my mouth and I would chew it and spit it out into a napkin because I would not swallow anything. You know, I went down the basement to eat my lunch. I didn't think I was eating, but I would just put it in a napkin and then throw it out. And then, you know, at one point, I did allow myself two bran muffins a day in my diet. And then um, further on from that, I'd eat five to six raisins a day and that's all I would eat. And um, I, I did go to a doctor at one point, and, um, you know, it's sad because I, I chewed 10 to 20 packs of gum a day. I weighed myself four or five times every day, and if I was over 82 pounds, I would not leave the house because that is unacceptable. Um, I covered my windows in construction paper so no one could see me or look in, um, and I was freezing. You know, people talk about that, and they forget I was freezing all the time. And I actually grew hair on the side of my face because I was, in, I think I was 70 pounds, 72 pounds. Um, my feet would sweat. I mean, it, it was awful. And my friends would come over to my house and they would knock on the door and I wouldn't open it. I wouldn't answer the telephone. Um, and even, you know, I just wanted to isolate. I wanted to be alone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. And you know, even while I was walking those five miles, I felt like I was going to faint all the time and I had to like stop. And my behaviors were, there was no self-care, no self-care. I wouldn't shower. I would just cry all day, you know, and my lack of abuse was absolutely ridiculous, um, just horrible. 
And, you know, when I used to go walking, I would have to go to the bathroom all the time, obviously because I took like hundreds of laxatives every day. And, you know, I would just go in people's backyards. It was just awful. And I can remember specifically one day um, I was at a pharmacy. And this is, gonna, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever done in my life, and I never, ever thought I would share this, ever. It was my biggest secret in, in life. And I was standing in line at a pharmacy trying to get, you know, something to buy. And, you know, I sat there. I'm like, oh, I can be fine. I always had to know where there was a bathroom everywhere I went. I would not go anywhere unless I knew where there was a bathroom. And you know what? There was a big problem at the front of the line, and I stood there, and everything just let go. And I just stood there, everything just let go all over the floor. And it was the most humiliating, embarrassing moment of my entire life. You know, and I'll never forget that horrid, horrid moment. And the laxative does this to people when you take so many. And, you know, you don't have control. And, you know, again, with compulsive obsessive behavior, I used to touch my stove 15 or 20 times. I had to vacuum every night before I went to bed, even if it was 1 o'clock. And, you know, I went to bed every night, and all I prayed for was to be skinny. Um, I didn't want to live. And I remember going to bed every night writing a letter to God. Please let me die, God, if I'm I'm this fat. God, please let me die if I don't get skinny. Please make me get skinny. And I was 70-something pounds at the time, and that was just not skinny enough. Um, And, you know, I can remember I had a job waitressing in Boston, and... um, you know, they, well, we had this cute little outfit. We had to wear white little shorts, this cute little outfit. And um, I went to buy my white little shorts for this, this job. And, um, you know, I went to the teen area because I thought, you know, as a teenager, maybe the clothes would fit. And they didn't. They were too big. And I had to go shopping into the children's section to buy my clothes. And I think I was age seven or eight uh, shorts that fit me. And I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, that would be my dream. Well, it's not a dream. It's the most um, dangerous, horrifying thing. Um, you know, and I still thought I was fat at that point. You know, and as, as we talk about in step one, there's two parts to step one. You know, I'm powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable. You know, and I think a lot of people forget about the, my life has become unmanageable. The second part is step one. You know, there's absolutely no question I was powerless over eating. And restricting, and my life was very unmanageable. Um, I got fired from my job, uh, and I was told I got fired because if I fell down the stairs, I didn't have enough insurance to co- coverage for me. Um, they repossessed my car. They turned off the gas in my apartment. I had no heat or hot water. Um, I did buy a burner because I had electric um, electricity to cook broccoli. Um, and I remember it took me three and a half hours to cook broccoli or something like that. Cause it was like one of those little cheap little burners. I was four months behind in my rent and I was going to be evicted. And again, I wouldn't talk or speak to anybody. And, you know, it was so unmanageable. And, you know, the big book talks about the bedevilments. You know, on page 52 of the big book, I was in so much pain. Uh, you know, did I have trouble with personal relationships? Yes, I didn't have any. I couldn't control my emotions. No, I just cried every day. Prey to misery and depression, yeah. Number four, couldn't make a living, absolutely not. Five, had a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy. That wish was sure. And I couldn't be of help to other people. No, how could I be of help to other people when I was going thinking about myself? And you know, everyone talked behind my back, like, is she dying? Is she cancer? 
And, you know, my eyes today, they're a beautiful blue. They're just beautiful, and they used to be jet black. You know, I was so lonely and so much pain. I longed just for someone to love me, but I wouldn't let anyone into my life. And, you know, even when I was anorexic, I stole. And you'll hear a lot of people that talk about when they're anorexic, they steal, which is very interesting. You know, I still go in clothing stores, and I put five or six layers on a clothes underneath, and I would just walk out. And um, I used to steal cordless phones, which was dating myself quite a bit. But um, they were huge boxes, and I, I, I think I used to steal, I stole like nine or ten of them. But um, I did get caught, and I did get arrested. And they took me down to the station and put me in the cell for the afternoon. And I had a court date. So, you know, being this uh, research here, I did a lot of research on anorexics and stealing. Um, so I did get a court date, and I showed up in court, and I told the woman, I said, you know, I am anorexic. And she says, I can see that. And I said, you know, and I gave her statistics of about 80 to 90% of anorexic steal. And it was documented, the fact, because when you that skinny and that low in weight, your electrolytes go off. You really don't think straight. So it was proven that, you know, a lot of anorexic steal. So I did get off, you know, luckily enough. But, um, you know, it was just living in hell. You know, the restriction of not putting food in my mouth gave me that huge high, just as much as if I put, you know, sugar or flour in my mouth, the same high. Um, It's delusional is what it is. You know, thinking that I'm this fat person, I'm only like 70-something pounds. It's horrible. But I, I will say that um, my anorexia, I'll tell you, it wasn't bad. Because if I look back, I just think I was fat. I just thought I was fat. So I didn't think anything was wrong, you know, at that time. But I will move into um, my bulimia, which brought me into the gates of hell. Um, and, you know, it started because my girlfriend wanted me to throw up. Uh, she said, you know, Let's, let's go down and throw up our dinner. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. And after about five or six times when she insisted I do that, you know, like I became a pro. But, you know, I'm going to tell you, I thought about food 13 hours a day. Um, you know, at exactly 4 o'clock p.m. in the afternoon, I would eat $130 worth of food, throw it up, binge, throw it up, binge, until I think 3 in the morning. And that's $130 worth of crap food. So you can imagine the massive, massive amounts of food that I ate. Uh, you know, my day began. I'd wake up at 5.30, 6.30 in the morning, and I'd call all the coffee shops and request two dozen of those round things, triple dipped. And I would spend the entire morning and afternoon shopping about, for all this food that, you know, I need to binge on. And if they didn't have something that was on my list, I would go anywhere to find it. Um, and then I would come home and I'd set up my kitchen table with hundreds of things all over the kitchen. You know, I, it was it was so sad, you know, that this, this plate had to go to the right. The pizza had to go to the left. This had to go over here. By the, I mean, the food was everywhere. Um, and then I would just binge and purge on all that food. Um, and I remember one day um, my car broke down. And I mean, I could not go one day without binging and purging. Um, and my car broke down one day, and I, I've shared this before. Like, what do you do to get food when your car breaks down? You know, I couldn't get a rental car. I didn't have any money, right, because I didn't have a job. Well, I was friends with the people at the gas station down the street, and I rented a U-Haul. I rented a U-Haul moving truck for a family of 12 to go across state so I can go buy binge food to throw up on. 
I mean, who rents a U-Haul to, to, to binge and purge? You know, it's sick. Um, and some of the behaviors I used to do were crazy. I used to buy a large shoe cake every night of the week and have them write happy birthday cherry on it. And, of course, I went to seven or eight or nine different stores, so they wouldn't know I had a birthday every day of the week. But that was just one of the pieces of massive amounts of food I ate every night. Um, and then I would return the food that I didn't eat the night before. I don't know why. I, I mean, I'm buying the same food again. Um, and one time, uh, a store manager came up to me and said, why are you returning this food all the time? And I said, because I have a daycare. And somebody else bought that food. I mean, I'm just making up stories, but I'm just, it doesn't matter. I'm just making up all these stories. And I'm like, of course I didn't want a daycare, you know, and I, I don't know why I was returning that food. But, you know, if I did not binge and I didn't rent that U-Haul, I, mean, I would have a panic attack, absolute panic attack, if I could not eat and binge. Um, my stomach looked like it's nine months pregnant from throwing up. And um, I heard someone share about this this past week. Is even today, um, you know, in a recovered body, I still, my stomach gets like, it looks like it's nine months pregnant. And that's never going to go away. That's from my bulimia and anorexia from all those years ago. But you know what? When it does get nine months pregnant and it does bloat like that, I can sit with that and know I can sit with something that's uncomfortable with God holding my hand. I don't have to binge and purge to throw up when that feeling happens anymore. Um, I ate three gallons of ice cream every night to throw up. I would stick my head in a toilet anywhere. I mean, it was disgusting. I, you know, and I would have to throw up on my clothes, on my hair, on my coats, on my shoes. It was horrible. Um, and, you know, and I would have these behaviors that would just, you know, as I said, they're odd, but they get even weirder. Like I would go to bakeries. And even in the supermarket, I would take my hands and I would mash them into, like, the breads and the pastries and just ruin it so no one else could buy it. I mean, this crazy behavior of just destroying food. And, you know, I used to go to Brigham's, um, which is a store that sells that cold stuff in Massachusetts. And I'd say, okay, well, Joni wants this and uh, these toppings, and uh, Fred wants this, and Joan, you know, and I have, like, six names, and they were all for me. You know, and I would devour that, you know. And it just got to a point where at the end of the night at 3 in the morning, I would just spray Windex and Lysol all over the food that was left over. And, you know, and I'd put it in the garbage garbage bin outside my door. You know, there was a restaurant near me and it was a huge garbage you know, bin. And you know what? I would go out 10 minutes later and I'd go diving in that dumpster, get out the food with the Windex on it and Clorox, and I'd eat it anyway. I didn't care. You know, but what I want to talk about is the food controlled me. I could not stop and I could no longer control what I ate. I couldn't. Um, my bulimia was the day to hell. It really was. And what I want to emphasize is that food went in my mouth without my permission. You know, and that reminds me in the big book on page five, it says, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Well, food was a necessity. It, I, I could not stop. You know, and, and I also, on, in the big book on page eight, it says, no words can tell the loneliness and despair I found at that bit of morass of self-pity. Quick stand stretched around me in all directions. I met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And it was. Um, and I, I can remember one day my mother said to me, um, I'm coming over to your house so we can go for a walk. And if you wanted to walk with me, I would do that. But that's the only contact I'd have with you if you wanted to go for a walk. So I said, sure. So, you know, you can walk five miles with me if you want. 
well, she came over and I opened the door and um, that was the big intervention. There was uh, eight or nine other people with my mother, my friends, my neighbors, my relatives. And they came to take me to a treatment center, you know, an eating disorder center. And I'm like, no, I promised I would gain 10 pounds. I promised, I promised, I promised. If they didn't take me to therapy, I promised, you know, I mean, to this place, I would go into therapy and I would gain weight. And they bought that. And, of course, I didn't have any plans at all of him, like a pound. So, you know, I tried so hard to get into eating disorder clinics after a while because I knew I was going to die. And I knew what's scary was that the food no longer controlled. The food controlled me. I had no control over the food anymore. And I called places all over the United States, and I said, I'm going to die. You know, I need to get something. I'm going to die. And I didn't have insurance. I couldn't get in any treatment centers. I could not get in. And, you know, I would try these places going, aren't there scholarships where people donate money? I mean, I am going to die. And, no, I couldn't get in a place, which is so sad and, you know, of course, I had no job and no money, so how am I going to get treatment? Uh, so I tried that for a long time, and then one of my psychologists did get me in a place. She got me accepted into a very well-known eating disorder clinic in Boston. And you know what? I was there 10 minutes, and I'm going to tell you why I was there 10 minutes. I walked in a treatment center. They took my blood. They took, you know, all of the tests and stuff. And within 10 minutes, they came in and they said, um, you need to leave. We're rushing to the emergency room right now. You're going to have a heart attack. Your potassium is so low. So um, my experience in a treatment center was only 10 minutes because I was too sick to be in a treatment center. So I couldn't get a treatment center. So, you know, I, I heard of OA. You know, my sister told me she'd take me to a meeting. And, you know, I said, okay, I'll go. I'll go to make her happy. So I went to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting. And, you know, no one was like me because no one was, you know, everyone was just heavy and I was just so skinny. So I didn't feel like I, you know, fit in. But I kept going back. This wee little voice inside me kept telling me to keep going. You know, and I cried and I left. The second meeting, I cried and I left. And at my third meeting, I recognized a woman. And I remember I had a post-it and I started having a panic attack because I was supposed to be eating at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and binging, right? So, you know what? I just handed her that post-it saying, I'm having a panic attack. I'm having a panic attack. And she's just, keep breathing, keep breathing. Um, and I made it through the meeting. And, you know, I found a sponsor. <laughs> Let's say someone grabbed my hand, um, and they told me that I was going to do what, you know, they told me to do. And this was my hospitalization period. You know, we talk about that in the rooms a lot, hospitalization period. Um, I could not date at that time when I began getting into program. I could not eat at restaurants. You know, and I was in college, and at that time she wouldn't let me take a class on Tuesdays because that was when my meetings were. Um, but you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. One of the things that helped me with the willingness to want to get well is that someone cared about me. I couldn't believe someone actually cared because no one ever cared. Um, and my first real meal was on Christmas morning. And my first meal was two eggs, wheat germ, and a banana. And the horror of eating that food was so strong. It took me 45 minutes to eat that. I mean, I was horrified. I cannot tell you um, how petrifying it was to eat food. But I was told, you know, you can't have fear and faith in the same body. And I did it. And, you know, I was also told um, when I first got into program, my elders, you know, they said, don't travel when you're first in program. You know, but I'm different, right? 
so I, I was new in program around this time, but I was abstinent after a while, and I remember I, I moved to Belgium. I went to school in Boston. There was a school over there. So I wrote down, you know, all, all the meetings over there. I had a bunch of phone numbers. And so, you know, I came with my tools, my sponsor's number, my literature, and I was, you know, ready to go. And when I got there, I called those people, but no one spoke English. Like, I never thought of that, right? They were all in French. So living in Belgium, you know, I thought it was going to be a great thing, but, you know, my first words in French were, how much does that cost? Can I have the third traveler to the right on the second shelf? These were my first words in, in French. Um, and no one spoke English, so these are the words I needed, which is very sad. All around food. Um, and the market was an hour from where I lived, and I can remember I would just, I started binging again, and I buy like six or seven bundles, and some in backpacks, and I would just like load them home, and it took me, you know, the things are falling on the ground, so I'm carrying all this food. It was horrible. It was just absolutely horrible. And you know when I show this into my elders. Um, but I'm going to share with you because I know why I had an eating disorder. It was very clear, okay? I had an eating disorder because my father was in prison. He died when I was nine. He died when he was 28. My mother absolutely hated me, told me I was stupid. Don't go to college. No one is ever going to accept you. You're not going to accept him anywhere. And if anything good happened to me, like even if I got my first car, she would punish me. And wouldn't talk to me. Anything good was, you know, I was punished for. I was molested by both my grandparents when I was little. You know, but I certainly learned these were not really why I ate. These are not the real reasons. You know, but why, why was I eating? Well, you know, it's because humans have emotions. All humans have emotions. We have happiness, anger, grief, fear, guilt, shame, regret, jealousy. I mean, it goes on, right? But because we're human beings, when our emotions build up, we become uncomfortable. And immediately my mind seeks out to find what's going to make me feel better. And for me, it's food. So I eat to get that effect. And by the way, that effect lasts about 79 seconds and then it's over, right? And, you know, I always like, well, maybe this time I can eat just one and I'll be fine. Oh, you know, today's going to be different. You know, how long did that go on for? So what I learned was food is not my problem. I've used food as a solution to my problems. So what's my problem? Well, in the big book and reading and saying the 12 steps, I have an allergy to the body and a mental obsession of mind. I'm like, what? I have an allergy? You mean it's not my fault? I'm not stupid? I mean, this was a revelation for me. I, had, I, I don't know why it took me so long to realize I have an allergy? I thought everything was my fault, you know, when I was dumb and I was just, you know, so different. And I'm just wired differently, that's all. You know, and an example, someone will put a cookie in their mouth and this light bulb will go on and then it was so good and the light bulb goes off. And, you know, for me, on the other hand, I'll put something in my mouth and the light bulb will go on, but it doesn't shut off. You know, there's certain foods I put in my mouth that cause me to have this allergic reaction. For me, it's flour and sugar. Others, it's different foods. So what is the problem? The problem is I'm powerless over, over food and I want to be relieved from this mental obsession. So what is the solution? I power grave in myself. And how do I get there? By following the instructions in the big book. But I will say my world just changed. I started studying the steps in the big book, and I cannot believe the doctor's opinion is very different than my opinion. I've got to tell you that. You know, Dr. Silkworth tells me that it is not that I do not have the lack of desire to stop. I lack the power to stop. 
I need an outside intervention, a spiritual awakening. So, you know, I did have the knowledge and I had the desire, but, you know, I didn't have the power. So where do I begin? I need to be willing to believe in a power greater than myself from restoring me to sanity. And I will say, honestly, the doctor team changed my life. It changed my world. And I even have conversations with some of my friends in program about the doctor team for 45 minutes. I mean, it's that it saved my world. You know, and on page XBI, it says, in this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe the body of an alcoholic is quite as, as normal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life and that we were in full flight from reality or we were outright mental defectives. And how true and then on XXBII, so we believe, as so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average tempered drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once formed the habit and found they can't break it, once having lost their self-confidence, the reliance upon things human, the problems pile up on them, and they become staunchly difficult to solve. As in my life, that was exactly what happened. And it says in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in the power greater than themselves if they were to recreate their lives. So how did I do that? By studying the 12 steps of the big book of the AA, you know. Um, and in the OA 12 and 12, on, on, they talk about step three on page 34 from the book. You know, it sounds fascinating, but... You know, on step three, um, well, I, I, step one on powerful food, my life to become a man. Well, we just talked about that at the beginning. And, you know, step two is on powerful, um, came to believe a power greater than myself in the storm of insanity. And this was amazing, too, because in the big book, it says, I don't have to believe in God. I can believe in anything I want, which was another thousand pounds weighted off my shoulder. Wow. I mean, I did believe in God, but I didn't have to. And this was one of the things that really saved me and, and gave me that, that power to believe in the power greater than myself. You know, and then when I studied step three, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over the care of God as I understood him. And, you know, this is the first action step that we take. We made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to God. I mean, this is my verbal contract that I need to God to commit to him. Um, and this is the first step that one asks to actively decide to trust the higher power. And that goes things beyond my control, including my addiction. And AA calls this step the key of willingness, which opens the door to recovery. And on page 34, I, I, I cry every time I read this. It's the most beautiful passage. It says, practicing step three is like opening a door to which all appearances are closed and locked. All we need is a key and a decision to swing the door open, and this key is willingness. And that's all it takes is willingness. You know, and again on page 35 in A, 12 and 12. Once unlocked by willingness, the door opens almost all by itself. And looking through it, we shall see a pathway besides which there's an inscription that reads, this is the way to faith that works. So step one and two about reflection, you know, and step three is in action. And, you know, the rest of the steps, just, I mean, those are the action steps. You know, step four, I made a search and forth note searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. And I always heard step four was horrifying. You know, people were horrified to take that. And I loved taking step four. You know, otherwise, how would I know what my character defects are? You know, I would have no idea. So 
So, you know, I had a long, long list of um, these defects. And step five, I made to guard myself into another human being, the exact nature of my wrong. And this, you know, this is an ego-shattering proposition. You know, I thought the world revolved around me. And what a surprise, you know, when I found out these secrets I've been hiding for years. I mean, the world did not revolve around me, but I thought it did, you know. And um, Alcoholics Anonymous on page 62, selfishness, self-centeredness, that what we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove um, all these defects of character. And seven, humbly ask him to remove these, these, these remove our shortcomings. And I had a lot of them. Um, and step eight, made a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And I had, I think, 126. And in step nine, you know, I had so much fear to go, you know, tell these, make these amends. I, I was horrified to do this, you know. And I went to, like, the bakeries and um, into the stores, told them I stole, told people I lied, you know, told people I stole money. I mean, but you know what? What a relief, in, you know, and these secrets that I had, I thought I would never tell anyone. I told my sponsor because I trusted my sponsor, you know. And, you know, today I've been step 10, 11, 12. You know, I take personal inventory. Um, I meditate. I, I, I sponsor. I share, you know, what's been given to me. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is when I started the 12 steps, they all had something that had principles attached to them. Um, step one is honesty. Step two is hope. Step three is faith. Four is courage, courage, five is integrity, six is willingness, seven is humility, eight is brotherly love, nine is justice, ten is perseverance, eleven is spirituality, and twelve is service. So my my whole life I just I just ate all this massive amount of food, except for when I was restricting, because I had this black hole in my heart. You know, and the food filled it. The food numbed me, or the restricting numbed me. Um and, you know, today I have a connection to God that fills that hole, and my heart's no longer black. You know, every day I reach my hand out in the air, and I grab God, and I pull God into my heart with my hand. And, you know, all day long, I ha- you know, I walk around, and, you know, I'm, I'm serious about this. Like, is there anything blocking me from God? Do I have resentment? Is there anything like fear and religious honesty? Because if there's anything blocking me from God, that blocks me from the spirit of, you know, reaching my connection with God. You know, so what is different about my life today? Well, I don't eat flour sugar. I have a sponsor. I do sponsor. I weigh almost all my food. I call three people a day. I go to nine meetings a week, and I do a lot of service. And I co-create with God now. I have that connection to my higher power that I believe can restore me to sanity. And I write letters to God. You know, I do two-way prayer. You know, so... I ask myself, why am I here today? First of all, I should have died when I had Gillian Beret. They told me um, I wasn't getting my legs back. And I had, I had um, a, a priest come in twice to read me my rights to die when I had that disease. They didn't think I was going to make it, right? So why didn't I die? And from anorexia, why didn't I die? I mean, I ate gum, chewed gum and drank tea. That's all I did for a year. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I almost choked and died throwing up. So you know what? I'm here to help you. I'm here to help others. And I'm here to carry that torch to the light of others in this program. You know, and I'm here because of you. 
Um, and it's all of you in this fellowship. And this fellowship is such an important piece of this program. You know, so my, how has my life changed? You know, I got married four years ago, which I never thought was ever going to happen. I'm in a doctoral program, which is my dream since I was eight years old. Can you believe if I was in the food, I would never be in a doctoral program. That dream never would have come true. God never would have given me that. I just bought my dream car. But you know what the the greatest gift is when I wake up and take a breath in God's world. You know, I used to wake up, I can remember every morning, and I had those little birds, I used to hate them, and they used to make so much noise and wake me up every day. And, you know, I could picture myself, I wanted to shoot every one of them off the trees and off the phone wires. I couldn't stand the little birds, right? And today, I stop and I wait and I listen just to hear those beautiful sounds. You know, and they're blocked out by so much clatter, and I just wait to hear them. And I thank God for the beautiful songs to start to my day. And the gifts of God are everywhere we look. You know, and the anorexia, the bulimia, and the compulsive overeating, they're all the same. You know, they're all, you know, obsession of the body. For me, it was. Um, and the compulsion to control. I, I truly believe this disease, for me personally, is about 90% of control. I want to control what I eat, what I don't eat. I want to control you. I want to control every aspect of everything in my life, you know. But that's not the way God wants it to be for me. You know, I've had two experience, uh, spiritual experiences where God has carried me. And, I, I, you know, it's, it's a miracle I'm here today. And uh, it, it's, a, it's an honest blessing. And if it was not for this program and the 12 steps and for you, God never would have given me this gift of life. So I am so grateful. And, you know, today I pause, I ponder, and I pray. You know, when I get angry or, or resentful, I do a 10 step. You know, or as I said, I pause the corner of my prayer. But I do co-create God all day, and um, it's such a blessing, such a miracle that I can be here today to even talk on this phone line. So I'm very grateful to be here today, and I'm grateful for all of you. Um, and God bless you all. Thank you for letting me share my story. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, Terry W. What a detailed account of your personal story of transformation what a blessing it is to have that in our recorded archives in the future. We will ask Terry W. for her contact information at the conclusion of this meeting. As I always say, stay tuned for that to the very last moment. You'll be able to grab that up. The share ID number for today, Sunday, November 26, 2023, is the following. 20878, 20,878. So now the lines are going to be open for questions. If you have a question for Terry, please unmute your phone by pressing star one on your phone keypad. Offer your first name, the first letter of your last name. And Toby then once w. you are, hang on just a second, Toby, I'll grab you up there. Once you have um, asked your question, please press star one immediately to be able to mute your line. Gotcha, Toby. Thanks. Anyone else with Mary the Mary, Mary Lee, good morning. Betsy, good morning to you. Pam G. Hi, Pam. Where are you from? New York. New York. Okay, got you down, Pam. Did you get Mary Lee, Melanie? I did. Yeah, I did. Good morning, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Chanel T. Chanel T. Yvonne H. From Washington. Yvonne H. And you're from where? 
maybe from Germany. Later. Oh, gotcha. Okay, great. Thanks from Germany. Let's go with those questions right now, and then maybe that'll warm other folks up with the questions that are pending on their mind. So, so far I have Toby W., Mary Lee R., Pam G., Chanel T., and Yvonne. So first up, Toby W., with your question, followed by Mary Lee R. from Oregon. Good morning, everybody. This is Toby W. from the Boston area. I'm going to cry, Terry. It's so wonderful hearing you. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because I'm not sure I heard, how long have you been absent, and and what are the key things for you that keeps you keeps you absent, keeps you going on a daily basis? I've struggled for years, and with the grace of God, I'm now absent, and, and I want to hang on to it. You're a great power of example. Thank you, Toby, for your question. I haven't seen you in years, and I hope you're doing well. Um, I have been absent about 24 to 26. Well, I've been at, I've been in this program 32 years, and I've been absent. I would say around 26, meaning I've not had flour and sugar, but I've been recovered for three or four. Um, which means the thought I've had a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience, and the thought of food's been taken away from me. And I live my life, you know, in constant contact with God. But to answer your question, um, you know, this program is not easy. You know, I do a lot to stay absent and to work this program. You know, first of all, I, I don't eat my foods that they don't go in my mouth that give me um, that I'm allergic to. Um, I study, go through the 12 steps every day. I live by them. And I live in a constant contact to God all during the day. I pray. I um I have a sponsor. I do sponsor. Um, I mean, there's so many things that I do. I can't even, you know, it's the whole day revolves around God and my higher power. And, you know, and doing service is huge. For a meeting, I, um, I'm moderating a retreat. I do tons of service. You know, giving back. We can't keep what we don't give back. But again, you know, it's that constant contact with God and allowing others in my life and opening my heart up. You know, it's always closed. And, um, you know, it's this gift from God that um, I have to keep in constant contact with God and work this program really hard um, to reap these amazing benefits of this beautiful life that I have. And I, I hope that answers your question, Toby. Thank you very much, Toby W., for your question this morning and amen to that. Mary Lee R. from Oregon, your question, please, followed by Pam G. from New York. Good morning. Um, this is Mary Liara in Eugene, Oregon. Grateful to be in recovery just for today. So, uh, Toby kind of um, ventured on my question, but when did you realize that you had that connection with the higher power? And I appreciate hearing some of the ways that you stay connected, but could you expand on that a bit, please? Yes, thank you for your question, Marilee. Um, it's interesting because I've been in this program so long, and, you know, we didn't even study the 12 Steps 32 years ago. We didn't even study the big book. We went by the tools, you know, reading, writing, um, and, you know, those are the handrails to God, but the steps is what really got me connected and giving, giving me, once I had a spiritual experience after studying the 12 Steps, 
and I became recovered, that's what keeps me in constant contact with God. That's when I realized that I, I mean, I have to, you know, cannot have resentment. I cannot have jealousy. I cannot have any of these defects of character or they block me from God. So when I, to answer your question, when I realized I had this really strong connection to God is after I started the 12 steps and I had a spiritual awakening. And that's, you know, ever since that day, it's, it's been, it grows stronger and stronger. Thanks. I hope that Thank you very much, Mary Lee, for your question this morning. Pam G. from New York, you're up next, followed by Chanel T. from Washington. Hi, Pam. Yeah, hi. hi. Yeah, um, I, I, I really appreciated your share, and I'm sorry you had to go through that much suffering and very happy that you've had such a strong recovery. Um, my question is, and I've heard it, I've just been back to OA off and on. I'm off and on back for a little while. People talk about two-way prayer, and I'd really like to know what that is so I could implement it. I know I could Google it, but I'd really rather hear about it from somebody who practices it, and uh, maybe it would help me. Thank you. Yes, two-way prayer is um, something that I practice, and you can Google it, and there's a lot of um, literature on that. Um, so I'll give you a quick example of two-way prayer and how that worked in my life, which is, a, you know, for me it was a miracle, is um, I was told I cannot get a COVID shot because of, I had Guillain-Barre. I cannot get any shots at all. I, I can't even get a, 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 a shot for the, for the flu. So not being able to have shots, when the COVID came out, my job said I had to get one or I couldn't work. That was mandatory. So I was horrified. I mean, you know, I'm not supposed to get a shot because that could get me paralyzed again, right? So I wrote a letter to God, and I'm like, dear God, what am I going to do? I cannot get this shot. I mean, God, please direct me because I I don't want to be paralyzed again. I'm not supposed to get a shot. You know, I can't not work, and I... You know, I just, I just, I'm the daughter of God. Please help me. Please direct me. Um, please show me the way. I don't know what to do. And, you know, and then I waited a few minutes and then I wrote down, you know, what God was writing back to me. Um, and God wrote back to me, Terry, you're being selfish, self-centered, only thinking about yourself. What about your husband? What if he gets COVID? What about the students where you work? What if they get COVID? Why are you only thinking about yourself, Terry? If you get paralyzed again, I'm still going to take care of you. And, and, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I didn't write that. There's no way that I wrote that. You know, and that was God speaking to me. So two-way prayer can be very useful for a lot of people. For me, it's very useful. Um, it's, it's a practice that you have to learn. And I, I do recommend definitely um, Googling it because um, it's a great way to, to connect to God. And it goes way back, way back. So I think that was a great example because there's no way that I could have ever done that without God's help. And imagine being selfish. I I didn't like that. So I hope that Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pam G, for your question regarding two-way prayer. Chanel T, want to press star one? Your question followed by Yvonne, and we'll have time for more after that. Hey, good morning, Chanel. Click star one. Well, I guess it helps if I'm not double muted, doesn't it? Hi, this is Chanel T. in Washington, gratefully recovered by the grace of God today. Terry, thank you so much. I always enjoy hearing you 
on meetings, and I, I had no idea you were sharing today. That was a treat for me. I wanted to ask you, um, when someone is also on the restrictor to the point of anorexia side, how do how do you work with them in the sense of the weighing and measuring their food so that they're not, well, you know why. So I'll leave the rest of that to you. Thank you. Hi, Chanel. Um, thank you for your question. It's very difficult to work with someone who's a restrictor. And, you know, one of the tips that I have is that I weigh my food. And the reason I weigh my food is because I will think it's not enough or it's too much. And I am told this is how many ounces of a vegetable I have. This is how many. I mean, a lot of people don't weigh their food, but for me, this is something that I have to do because I don't have any control over what's enough and what's too much or not enough. So um, it's hard to work with restrictors because they're petrified to eat, actually horrified. And, you know, even today, you know, I'll look at something on the scale and go, oh, oh, that's way too much. And I'm like, you know, so my food is um, my sponsor's business, my nutritionist's business, and God's business. It's not my business. So if I'm told by a nutritionist on what to eat and what to weigh and measure, that's what I eat. It may be horrifying for me, and it may be really hard, but you know what? I'm willing um, and God will hold my hand through it, and it, it, I believe it. So it's just a matter of being willing and, um, and connecting to God, and knowing God will take care of us. God keeps us safe and protected in all things. So although it's horrifying, um, you have to be willing. I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Chanel T. from Washington, for your question this morning. Next up is Yvonne H. from Germany. And then we'll open up for further questions this morning. We'll have plenty of time. Hi, Yvonne. How are you? Hi. Hi. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your recovery, Terry. Um, yes, I'm grateful recovered in recovery, and I have a question. When once you decided to join Overeaters Anonymous, you had a sponsor. You were doing your first step. And you were abstinent. So you didn't know the program yet. You couldn't know it because you didn't go through the 12 steps yet. How did you deal with your emotions in that first time? That's my question. Thank you, Ron, for the question. So, you know, back then, 32 years ago, um, we didn't we didn't study the steps back then um, in, in OA. So we studied what we call the tools. So, you know, I had a checklist every single day that my, you know, I wrote down in a book. You know, did I make three calls? Did I call my sponsor? Did I do my reading, my literature? Did I do writing? Um, and I had all these tools that I checked up every single day. And those are what kept me abstinent. Um, they did not connect me to God at that point because I did not understand the program, know how to do the program. Um, and I can remember at first I used to call my sponsor and I, I would say I checked up every single one of these and it didn't work. And then, you know what, like after a few days, it was like, wow, it just all of a sudden worked. I don't know how it worked, but it just, but it kept me abstinent. Those tools did. But those tools are the handrails to God. You know, like the steps today are what connects me to God and gives me a life that's like, like living a miracle. Um, I still work the tools today as part, you know, as part of my program. Um, but that's what kept me abstinent back then. Is the tool, is working the tools? 
and making the phone calls and reading literature. So I hope that that answers your question, Yvonne. Thank you, Yvonne H. from Germany. There's plenty of time for more questions. If you happen to have a question, I'd love to get your first name, first letter of your last name, and perhaps your state. Darian K. Darian yep. K. From Mass. Anna, Anna is that what you said? Yes, Anna M. Anna M. And where are you from? Pennsylvania. Okay, gotcha. And I did hear you too, Amy G. Good morning to you. Hi. Any Yes, hi. Who else? Sabina D. Davina? Sabrina. Would you spell that for me just so I make sure I get it correctly? S-A-B-I-N-A. Sabina B. Boy? D like uh, David. Okay, gotcha. And where are you from, Sabina? New York. New York, gotcha. Great, okay. Anyone else have a question this morning? Joanne P. Julie M. Minnesota. Who was that from Maryland? Rivka M. Joanne P. Joanne P. From Maryland. From Maryland? Julie M. Minnesota. I have Julie M. from Minnesota after that. And then I had um, Nancy. What's the first initial of your last name, Nancy? Maybe she's remuted. Then I have Rifka after that. Nancy L. Okay, great. Thank you, Nancy. And then from Arizona. Okay, and then Rifka? And then I had someone else after Rifka. Yeah, Rifka M. from Maryland. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Well, let's go with that lineup. I had a little bit of a hearing problem there. So it looks like we have um, Darian K., Anna M., Amy G., Sabina D., uh, Joanne from Maryland, Julie M., Nancy L., and Rifka. That's a lot. That'll take us up to the end, if not more than that. So hang tight. We'll hope to get to all of you. Darian Kay, you're first, followed by Anna. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Terry. I love you so much. Good morning, my friend. I miss you. (laughs) Um, Oh, you're amazing. Such a miracle in this program. It's just, you're just a walking, breathing miracle. And I am just so, so grateful to have you as my friend. Um, So I just, you know, you know, I'm asking it for myself as well as you is, you know, what, what keeps us going? What keeps us, what, what, what is the staying power, you know, in program the, that keeps us, you know, the longevity of being in program for over 30 years? Um, you know, it, you know, what is, what is it? What, you know, what, what do you think it is? I just, you know, I, I, I kind of know in my heart, but, you know, I want to hear your, your spin on it um, as well. Thank you. Thank you, my dear friend. Um, the first thing that just comes to my mind automatically is helping others. It's my, it's, it's why I'm here. Uh, you know, as I said, I should be dead. There's no reason I'm here from the Gillian Beret and having, you know, a preach read my rights twice to die and then being 70 something pounds. And, you know, I'm here to help other people. That's the answer is it's, it's for me to help others that are still suffering in this program. That's, it's just the first thing that just comes to my mind. You know, because everything was about me my whole life, and it's not about me anymore. It's about me helping others and feeding it to other people. That, that's what keeps me going. 
Thank you, Darian Kay, for that question. Next up is Anna M. from Pennsylvania, followed by Amy G. from Maryland. Anna M., you want to press star one real quick? <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, hi, Terry. This is Anna M. Fantastic share. I'm relatively new to the program. Something I put together, which I didn't know, which has been a big stumbler to me, and if I understood you correctly, you said something to the effect of panic attack when you were craving food, and I seem to have this stumbling block there. That word was great. Could you share anything about that, um, that whole stumbling, you know, can you share more about the panic attack and how you overcome it? But just the panic attack itself was really helpful to me. Thank you. Thank you for your question, Anna. I used to have horrible panic attacks because I um, was very regimented. Uh, like, I would have to throw up at 4 o'clock every day. I would have to at that exact time. And if I was somewhere that else than 4 o'clock, I would start panicking, and I, I couldn't breathe. Um, and even, you know, I shared when I went to some meetings at the time when I was usually throwing up, I would have a panic attack. And I would have to share that with someone um, and let them know I'm having a panic attack. And that is the time where I had God hold my hand. Um, and, and that's how I got through it, is by just breathing in and out. I would breathe in God and breathe out fear nine times. Breathe in God and breathe out fear. And that's how I, I get over my panic attack. But again, God had to be there. There's no way I could have done that myself. But that's, you know, typically I would share that I'm having a panic attack with someone in a meeting. I'd pass them a little note, and I'd be breathing in God and breathing out fear. Because God would never let me drown. And it was through God that I got to that. And I hope that answers the question for you. Just reach out Thank to God. And Thank you very much, Anna M., for your question this morning. Um, Amy G. from Maryland, your question, please, followed by Sabina. Uh, thank you, Melanie. Uh, Terry, thank you so, so much. Wow. What clarity about same disease, same obsession, different manifestation, you know, so clear. And I guess my question today is if you could clarify, you know, how you work through having to, to gain the weight um, as or, you know, what steps both, you know, what steps would you say helped you with that um, in having to gain the weight and the fear around that? If you could elaborate, that'd be great. Yeah, thank you, Amy, so much. Um, gaining weight was the most petrifying thing for me um, because I always thought I was fat, no matter, in, you know, and I had to gain quite a bit of weight. And, you know, I would say um, step three, giving my life my power over the care of God, if I understand God, um, because I was no longer in control. Um, that's when I... I made a commitment to God saying that, you know, God, I'm going to, you're, you're leading my life. I gave it all to you. And that's what gave me the strength and the hope to be able to eat because I no longer controlled what I ate. I think I mentioned before it was my sponsor's business, my, my um, nutritionist and God's business, what I ate. But it was step three because, you know, I, I just had to give up that control. I, I you know, I, I just no longer could do it myself. I had to have an intervention. Um, and, you know, again, my fellows helped me with that. My sponsors helped me with that. Um, but, yeah, I think it was step three. Thanks for the question, though. 
Yes, thank you very much, Amy G, for your question. It's Amy G from Maryland. Next up is Sabina D from New York, followed by Joanne from Maryland. Star one, Sabina. Sabina, star one, please, if you're still there. Well, hello, Sabina. Can you hear oh, me? Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is this oh, Sabina? Sorry, I was. Yeah, this is Sabina. I was talking to myself. I guess I didn't know that I was mm. muted again. Yeah. Okay. I thank you so much, everybody, for being here on this beautiful meeting. I I I am a newcomer to the vision for you. I haven't uh, done this work. Um, I've been to different OA meetings uh, throughout my <laughs> my traveling uh, through this whole thing. And my question is like that. I'm an observant person, observant uh, Jew, and uh, I'm like, I believe in God. I know that I have nothing else besides God, right? And here I am sitting this morning and thinking to myself, I am such an alcoholic with food. Like, I embarrass my children. I do things that are terrible, and I am a believer. So I'm like, so disgusted right now and I don't know what to do with myself because I'm not abstinent and I also need phone numbers. So that's basically like I'm just feeling so shameful and guilty at the moment. So Sabina, um, you're not alone. Um, the behaviors that I had done um, and I did it were just unacceptable in public. You know, I would eat out of the trash. It was, I mean, I used to just do things and they were so embarrassing. So please no, you're not alone. Um, and I'd be happy to give you my number after this. Uh, and I'm sure other people will give you their phone numbers. But, you know, it's just being willing to, to just study the steps and just being willing to say, you know, I can't do this myself anymore. Um, and, and going to, into this program and trusting the line. Um, it's very scary, you know, to, to be in, in, you know, the state where we're eating and, um, we, we have these behaviors that we just embarrass ourselves about, but there is a solution, okay? So that's the great news. There is a solution. And there's so many hundreds of people on the phone right now that have found that solution, and you can too. Um, it's just reach out to others, start studying the 12 steps, and um, you'll have a life that's better than them. And, um, again, I'll give you my phone number to reach out later. Thank you very much for coming on the line, Sabina D, and asking your question this morning. There will be lots of help for you. Next up is Joanne from Maryland, followed by Julie M. from Minnesota. Terry, hi, it's Joanne P. from Pennsylvania. Oh, my goodness. Thank you oh. so much for your <laughs> Thank you so much for your share. And I, I never really ever heard your complete story, only parts of it. And... I'm just, um, and the questions that have been asked have answered so many of mine, but I just love your recovery. You are a walking miracle and giving hope to so many of us, even those who don't necessarily have your story, you know, and have the opposite um, in our disease. Uh, Yeah, my my main thing is you talked about how long you were in program and then when you finally became recovered and... Um, I don't even want you to have to talk because I just love the way you talked about the steps, you know, got you recovered and, 
and your constant contact with God is so important for all of us. And then, yeah, um, allowing others in to serve, that's your staying power to help others. It just brings tears to my eyes. So thank you so much for your um, honesty and your humility and your service. I love you, Terry. Uh, I love you so much. Thank you for your sweet words. Joanne, did you have a question this morning for Terry? No, I wanted to ask her about um, recovery. She said it was she was in the program for so long before she finally got recovered, but I think she kind of answered it. I mean, everything I was thinking about, and then the two-way prayer. I loved what she said about you know God's answer to you being selfish. I mean, that just made me cry because wow. I, I just, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think everyone's asked any question I could possibly think of. You've answered them, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nancy. thank you. Nancy L. from Arizona. Good morning, Julie. Hi, this is Julie M. from Minnesota. Um, I have... Yes. Is it's my turn, correct? It is, Julie. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I am a grateful member of OA, but have a different kind of obsessive eating disorder. Um, a different. I'm a volume eater. I do not really understand anorexia and bulimia. It confuses me. And I thank you so much for just the education about um, this this disease, this type of compulsive overeating. What my question for you is: What is the best way I can support an anorexic a, a friend, a fellow in the program who is struggling so hard with abstinence? Um, and deals with anorexia and bulimia. How how can I be a friend to her and a fellow and support her? And I don't understand what she's going through. So that's my question. Thank you, Julie. That's an amazing question. Um, and one of the reasons that I do like to talk about anorexia and bulimia is it is a form of compulsive eating, and a lot of people don't recognize the behaviors. And I think the biggest thing, um, the biggest, greatest gift I remember um, is I spoke somewhere and um, this woman blamed herself for her her sister's death from anorexia. um, And she realized it wasn't her fault uh, that she died. And she had been walking around for five or six years thinking that it was her fault her sister died. And and it wasn't. And she learned that through the education of being anorexic and bulimic. But, you know, it's, it's very difficult, and it's the same as the compulsive overeater. It's the, the food, it's the obsession, it's the delusion. You know, that, that gives us the high, that delusion. Um, and it's just being there and just being, you know, trying to get them into the program and trying to get them into studying the steps and just being a friend and knowing that you're there to hold their hand. Um, but, again, it's, they have to be willing. It's, that's the key that opens the door, as I read in the 12 and 12, is just being willing. Um, and you know, and not encouraging them to continue the behavior, you know, because um, I remember when I was anorexic and I was 70-something pounds, everyone, I got a lot of attention, you know, gain weight, gain weight, gain weight, and I got a lot of attention, which was what I wanted, right? 
So again, it's just trying to get them into the program and trying to be, you know, a, a great fellow like you can understand it, that it, the disease is all the same. <clears throat> Thank you. And I, you're welcome. And who is next? Uh, this is Nancy L. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, it is Nancy L. I'm so sorry. Good morning, Nancy. You're with your question, please. Oh, thank you so much. And and I'm sorry I interrupted the last speaker there. I got a little confused. Thank you, Terry, so much for your share this morning. My question is, um, what is your relationship with the bathroom scale now? And um, are you and your, your sponsor, I, I assume, are in agreement? Do you weigh and how often you weigh? Thank you so much. That's a really good question. I'm, not, I'm going to be very honest about my relationship with the scale. Um, I used to weigh myself five or six times a day, every day. Um, and if I was over 82, I, I, was, I was unacceptable and wouldn't leave the house, I think, I, as I mentioned. But um, I do get weighed once a month um, by my doctor. And I do not look at the scale um, because if I look at the scale, it will just set me off. So my personal, mm-hmm. my path is I go to my doctor's office once a month. I turn around and she lets me know if my weight's acceptable um, because she knows the range I'm supposed to be in. Um, and that's something that I'm working on in my program. You know, one day I will be able to do that myself, but, you know, as I said, I'm developing, and then I, as I grow in this program, there's always more for me to learn, always more for me to grow. And that's one area I'm working on right now is to have that acceptance. But um, I am getting weighed once a month. Um, my doctor does know my weight and lets me know if I need to gain or lose. And, you know, with my program, it stays, it stays stable. Um, so that is something I am working on, and then I do have to improve. So... Um, you know, and again, I'm being honest, that's just me. Thank you very much for your question, Nancy L. from Arizona. Rifka M., your question, please, this morning. And everyone else, press star one, please. Yeah, yeah hi, thank you so much. This is Rifka M. from Maryland. Um, thank you so much for the share. I really gained so much from it. Um, my question is, um, you talked about um, giving and doing service to be able to keep what we have. Um, I hope the question comes out clear. Um, but in the big book, we see that they like they go to people that have this disease, um, and they find them, and then they they try to give over what they have. Um, with everything we have nowadays, all the technology and everything like that, we I find that we're very often, you know, lucky enough that people come to us, you know, and um, and they'll say like, uh, you know, help me out or whatever it is. Um, my question is. If you know people in your life that have this disease, um, you know, I know it's, it's you know, um, well, I can't think of the words right now. We show them what, what we're doing rather than um, pushing it in their face, basically. Um, but ha- is there a way to, to give over to people that are not specifically coming to ask for it, to ask for help? And how do we help those people, too? Is there a way for us to be helping people that are not specifically searching for it at this point? Um, I, I hope I'm going to answer your question, Ms. Bed. If I don't, please um, I'll elaborate. 
Um, I think Zoom has really um, revolutionized how we contact people right now because I think a lot of people were very scared to live meetings. And right now, people, there's meetings every hour all over the world, and anyone can just go on and um, explore what they're about. And it's not scary to, to be in this program anymore. And, I, you know, I will tell you, when I was young, like, this was the most horrifying thing in my life to have an eating disorder. And, you know, I thought I would never live. And, you know, today I am so grateful that I have an eating disorder and that I am who I am today so that I can help other people. But, um, you know, like, I know as they say in the big book, scores of people that are um, have anorexia, bulimia, and compulsive overeaters. And we're in, a, you know, we have, we, we refer people to each other all the time. So if someone is looking for something, um, you know, I sponsor everyone because to me the disease is all the same, whether they're 60 pounds or 500 pounds. Everything, you know, the disease is the same as far as I'm concerned, and so is the solution. But for those of people who, you know, a lot of us share our stories to people, you know, that are anorexic or heavy so that we can share the message. But there's also a lot of literature out there. And again, Zoom meetings are a great way as well to, um, to um, explore the program in itself. Thank you very much, Rivka M. Mm. Thank you very much, Rivka M. from Maryland for your question this morning. Hey, time looks like we might be able to offer two more people, maybe even three, the opportunity to ask a question this morning, if you're interested. This is one. Elaine Robert F. from w. New York City. I'd like to ask a question. Okay, Elaine F., hang on just Tur- one second. And, and then who else? I'm sorry? Robin Joe Tur- B. Robin Joe B. from Missouri. Mm-hmm. From New York. Who from New York? Carolyn S. Okay, we'll see if we can get to yours too. We'll try from New York. Okay, let's start with uh, Robin Joe B. from Missouri. Oh, I'm sorry, Elaine F. first, and then Robin Joe B. Hi, Elaine. Good morning. Go ahead with your question, Elaine. Okay, this is Elaine F. from New York City. I'm just outside, so bear with me. Um, basically, what I want to say is that um, my disease manifests itself. I feel like I'm very unique. But I don't want to, I mean, I was never overweight. I, I was underweight once after I had my baby at age 57. And um, I just want to eat the volume. Um, but basically, I can stop. So anyway, what, this is my question. I have a, um, a something personal. I have a baby. I'm 65 years old with an 8-year-old. My husband's 80. He's been in a rehab twice. My husband, my mother's getting older and aging. And I just feel like I'm very consumed with just taking care of different things that are very overwhelming um, as an older mom. And I'm finding it like I barely have time to self-care, although I do have more time now because we just got on. We're going to be getting on Social Security. We actually didn't even have any money for a long time either to pay our bills. My husband was in the rehab twice. So... I find it hard to give service. Like, I'm a social worker. I'm, over the years, I've been in program. I started my first program 32 years ago. I'm in OA tw- about over 20 years. And, you know, I'm codependent. I'm, I'm always taking care of everyone. I'm a social worker. But I really have to work at taking care of myself. So I haven't been doing a lot of service. And I feel like um, like I don't know how to balance that because I just have to keep, I mean, I, I'm trying to keep my family afloat. 
I'm trying to take care of my husband, trying to take care of my son. I don't have to take care of my mother. And um, I also, so I'm just asking your, some of your feedback. You don't know me at all if it's fair to really ask. Um, like in a situation where you're, you're in like, like my husband was in a rehab, but he just got out a month ago. Elaine, thank you for the question. And you just did service right now asking a question. Um, you know, it does sound like your life is very overwhelming. And I feel like my life is overwhelming as well right now with all, you know, school and all of that. But without being connected to God, I can't make it through the day. So how I make it through the day and how I find time, I'm like, you know, I'm too busy. I can't do this. I'm like, well, you know what? You can get up a half hour earlier. You can do your quiet time and your prayers. Or, um, And I have to just sometimes sit and just sit with God because I am so overwhelmed. But unless I do have this program in my life, otherwise I can't handle it. But when I turn to God and I turn to this program and work the steps, life gets so much easier. It just gets easier. Um, and that's how I get through the day. Um, and sometimes I have to just sit there and I'll get on my knees and in the bathroom stall somewhere or, and pray to God, you know, please walk before me, behind me, beside me, and around me and take care of me, God. Um, but that connection does help me a lot. Thank you very much, Elaine, for your question this morning from New York. Robin Jill B., your question? No, Missouri. Oh, thank Sorry. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Robin Joby from Missouri. Oh, thank you so much, Terry. I've heard you in the past, and and I really admire your um, your just your open honesty, and and that's what you know we all need to do. And and so here I am. I want to know. I've been the anorexic and the bulimic, and and just uh, thought I would die with my head in the toilet. Um, seriously, and. So I know all of that. I, I haven't been practicing those particular things. I am a volume eater. Also, I do weigh and measure. Now, here's my question. Are, have you ever come to the point where you love your body, where you are comfortable in your body? Can you um, be at peace with the size of your body? Now, I know you, you can't look at the, the number on the scale, but... Are you, are you, do you have serenity around your body? That's a really great question, Robin. Um, I have a beautiful body and a beautiful figure, and I know people would love to have my figure, and um, I'm grateful for God for what I have. Um, you know, even having my life, I'm grateful for. I don't think I'll ever, um, where I was a bodybuilder and I had 4% body fat in the past, that was when I was perfect. You know, and I'm older now, you know, I have, you know, I'm not firm and I'm not certainly not perfect by by far, but, you know, I'm just grateful that I wake up and take a breath in God's world every day. And that makes me proud that I have a, a body that I have because I, I'm just grateful to be here on this earth. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think I have a beautiful body. I'm learning to love myself. And it's hard. It's really hard. Um, but, yeah, you know, I'm healthy. I can walk up the flight of stairs. Um, and so, yeah, I, w- I would say that I do love my body. But it's taken me years. And thank you for the thank question. You. Yes, thank you, Robin Joby, for your question this morning. Carolyn S. from New York, you will be the last question that we'll have a time to answer for today. Want to press star one, please. Hi, uh, this is Carolyn from New York. Um, 
I, the question, I, you kind of answered this, but um, I'm at uh, right about goal weight, a little bit under, and um, my nutritionist is telling me, you know, she, she's giving me more food, and it just seems like too much. And I'm terrified that I'm going to, like, way overshoot my goal and wind up really fat again. Um, you know, I, I remember what you said about turning everything over to God. How, you said your nutritionist determines your weight. I mean, my nutritionist asked me what my weight goal was, so I don't, you know, have that, like, set point. How do, uh, sorry, I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, yeah, let, let's let it go. Sorry. No, I understand your question. Um, typically, uh, and this is just a United States thing, typically, you know, there's a scale of what's healthy and what's not healthy within within ranges. Um, and, you know, if I'm 72 pounds, that's not a healthy range. So um, I know what I should be in between um, in my weight, and my doctor does, and my sponsor does, and um, and I keep within that. And again, you know, it, I, of course, I always want to be something that I'm not, right? You know, but um, to answer your question about, you know, having more food, I found when I had to start eating real food, I thought I'd be gaining 20, 30, 40 pounds, and, you know, I didn't. You know, my body adjusted to eating real food. And, um, of course, it was a shock because I hadn't eaten real food in so long. But, you know, sometimes the more food you have, you don't gain weight. Mm-hmm. You know, so i just like you to think about that, too. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for the question today and for all the questions today and most especially for the, the time and the and the tenderness that you offered today, Terry, with your presentation and the answering of these questions this morning. It was very strong and very profound. Um, and again, we'll get Terry's information after the recording has stopped today so that you can be in contact with her. But for now, let's stop as we always do in the traditional way here at A Vision for You Sunday Special Edition and our meetings each day by reading from the big book on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as we trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you.